0: Well, this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from my friend, Megan Trishler, who I think I first met about a year and a half ago when she came to speak at InterVarsity Graduate Fellowship at UC and gave a fabulous talk. So um, welcome, Megan. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I'm going to be asking Megan some questions, but just to give you some brief background, up until recently, Megan has been working for People's Liberty, and currently she is. studying, and working towards being a spiritual director. So we're excited for the work that you've done, the work you're doing, Megan. Uh, This morning, I'd like to ask you basically two main questions that come out of my sermon from this morning. In this morning's sermon, I shared that Jesus has come to bring us life, and that as followers of Jesus, we are also called to bring life to our communities and to our families and to our world. So the questions are related, and the first question is, is in your personal spiritual walk and your life of faith, how have you seen life being given? And in particular, how have you participated both in the receiving as well as the um, giving of new life?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, Thank you, Kristen. It's good to be here with you all digitally. Mission Cincinnati. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting question about yeah, how have I received or been participating in new life just in my own personal journey. Um, I think I've started to follow Jesus with more, um, a bit more earnestly in the middle of my 20s. Um, so it's been about eight years or so now um, that I could say I've been, been trying to follow Christ. And I think for me, I've always felt a really strong sense of a call to um, work for the good of our neighborhoods, our cities, our communities. My work and my, my background in design has taken me everywhere from rural Alabama to Chicago to Detroit to Chattanooga and a few places in between. Always searching for projects and, um, and organizations to work with who are participating in the to bring you know new life to our our neighborhoods and in our communities and i've enjoyed that work thoroughly but there's always been a question in my head and that's sort of how does this thing i say i believe how does a belief in god or a desire to walk with christ have anything to do with what i do um for a career or what i do seven days a week you know outside of sunday and i think what i see uh what I think God's been doing in me is essentially showing me how exactly the thing I feel called to do in the world is essentially to join what he's already doing in the world and to partner with him on his reconciling mission to bring new life to our, to our cities and to our communities. And so I've had a chance to participate in a number of projects across different cities that really are, uh, you know, about coming alongside people who have good ideas, um, creative ideas and want to see change happen in their neighborhoods in their communities and to get to kind of partner with them and walk alongside them has been really kind of the, the way my, my work has unfolded. And so I think that's been one bit major way that I, I feel like, you know, God for me is, is integrating sort of a life of faith and a life of of work as one life. And that's been incredibly um, incredibly healing for me as somebody who's often thought that life and life and faith can be kind of different things or or work and faith can be different things. and so that's been yeah just really beautiful and i'm excited to continue to sort of journey and see where that all unfolds now with sort of a new vocational path that seems to be unfolding in front of me.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, my second question really just ties into the first question. It's uh more specifically and you've already mentioned it a bit but in your work and in your community, how have you seen life being given? Both again, like, how have you participated in the receiving and the giving of life? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think, that question too, because in some ways to think about how is life being given, I've, I've had to think about how do I see life being taken or stolen, and I think it's easy to talk about the big things that we see. You know, I see, just as you all see, I see neighborhoods being gentrified, I see affordable housing not being built. Um, I see people being moved out of places so that other groups of people can move into those places. I see needs not being met. I see healthcare systems failing. I see all of that. I see the brokenness in the world, like like we all do. And it's it's easy to um, to just feel stuck, you know, to, to to feel like, well, what do we even do? Where do we have find our hope? Particularly if you're somebody who's inclined to want to be sort of a change agent, you know, to want to to participate in in the bringing of new life. And so as I was thinking about where I see life being stolen, I thought about a lot of those things. But to be honest, as I thought a little bit more, and I'm praying about this, I think there's something that I see at play that is actually a little bit harder to detect because it's, it's a little bit hidden. But I think the way I see life being taken is actually um, in our in our inability to admit our own human weakness and the fact that, um, there are just some things that, that stretch us beyond our own limitations and that we need a God (laughs) to be able to actually do the work that we feel called to do. Um, and I think that's in our culture, a culture of productivity and where anytime we, we sense that weakness or that, um, that not enoughness in ourself, the temptation is to work harder, work longer, read another book, listen to another podcast, you know, power through. I see life being taken in our individual lives. I see joy being stripped away. I see the ability for deep relationship, um, just not having time to cultivate because we're just on to the next thing, the next thing to fix. And it's all good stuff. The next thing to solve, the next, you know, a board to be on or coalition to join or, you know, just movement for change. It's all good. But I think we have to look at the cost and and how life is is leaving us as we, as we've towards some of these things from a posture of it's all up to us. And so the people and the ways that I see flourishing in our community and in the lives of specific people are in the lives of people that I think have, have, reckoned with the fact have come to a place of accepting that they aren't in fact limitless human that there is a force at play bigger than ourselves and that our call is to is to see how we're uniquely equipped as individuals to join that to partner with that god who's already at work making all things new um, and that it's not ours alone to carry And I see this so much in people who, you know, I'm in my early thirties. I see a lot of my spheres of people tend to be the sort of change maker types and we're burning out at the age of 35. Um, And so, yeah, again, the the folks that I see uh, have a different posture towards how they hold their work and how they hold their role in bringing about flourishing. Um, There's a couple people, if I can just share a few brief stories that come to mind um, I, I was just reconnecting with a friend. She's a woman who's in her seventies, I believe, though you wouldn't know it. African-American woman in our city who, um, you know, is an activist, organizer, coalition builder, any movement towards change or action in Cincinnati the past 50 years, she's probably been behind it or in front of it. And uh, we were chatting the other day and I just see such a light in her. There's a joy in her. And I think that comes from her deep understanding um, that that she's dependent upon something bigger than herself, that her life source that moves her forward to do this very important work in our city um, comes from a deeper place. And it comes from a deep, 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 I think, inner trust that God is at work and she gets to join him in ways that she's uniquely equipped to do. And so I see her action and I see her impact, but I also see the lightness in her and it's beautiful. And, and I'm trying to bring her now into To teach some of our our, us younger folks how to how to sustain ourselves for the long haul in this change this change making work in our city. Um, There's another friend of mine who um, is in her forties, two young children. She was already stretched then before COVID, before the crisis, and I see in her the same passion. You know, she she's an immigrant herself. She wants to be a voice for the marginalized. She wants to be a voice for those who don't often have a platform to share and it's wearing her to the ground. She's tired. Um, and, and I think it's this, she holds that work so important, importantly. Um, but one of the things that I'm seeing in her where I'm seeing new life is like many, she's, she's, um, uh, been using her creativity to make masks for the healthcare workers. Um, and, uh, it, just this be, in this beautiful way, she's um, invited elderly neighborhood, neighbors in her community in her neighborhood to donate some of their fabrics so that she can make them into masks. And these older folks in her neighborhood are not just donating their scraps, but these like beautiful, probably quite expensive vintage fabrics that she's then recycling into the ma- you know making of these masks that of course are then going out into the healthcare care system um, to hopefully protect people. From the virus. And that in and of itself, I think, is really beautiful. And that's how we see often all things being made new, you know. But the part of the story that I love the most is that my friend has said, she said, you know, I put my kids to bed, and for about three hours every night, I go up to my studio and I put on my I turn on my sewing machine and I sew. And she said, it is an act of worship for her that for the first time in recent memory she's found space again. She's found rest. She's found this place to just be with God. And she has this just all of a sudden, she's been longing for just like quiet time to be with God. And all of a sudden she has it. And so what I love about that is that it's this in her own act of service and her own giving of life, she's also receiving it. She's receiving this nourishment from God. And I think for me, those are the signs. This is like the ecology of flourishing. Where not just one sort of entity is benefiting or flourishing, but there's a whole system of things um, flourishing and benefiting. And um, so those are just a couple examples that I see, but I guess I'll just end by saying I think there um this is under our noses all the time. You know, we don't have to look outside too far to see how God's at work. It's it's in these small ways, it's in the hearts of people who are our next door neighbors. Um You know, this is the whole, I think, yeast in the dough um, metaphor for the kingdom, that this is how the kingdom works. And so I think our job simply becomes to pay attention and to really take notice of how do we feel uniquely equipped or called to respond to whatever it is that God has for us using our skills and our gifts. You know, you don't have to hold the world on your shoulders and face crisis or anything with that kind of weight, but rather to sort of engage With it as a partner, God is in charge. We get to join him, and um, that's been bringing me new life. And I think it's hopefully, I pray that that sustains me for the long haul. Because trust me, I can get stuff done, but I don't want to operate that way anymore. It's just I can't. So um, I hope that makes some sense. And I'll stop there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's beautiful, Megan. Um, We'd so love to hear you tell more. Those stories are great. Um, but we do have to close our time this morning, but we really do look forward to hearing more about your work and your friends and your community in the future. And for me more excitingly to be able to see you in person sometime in the near future. So thank you so much for taking time
1: to be here and have a great morning. Sounds good. Take care all blessings.
0: Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to be able to share God's word with you this morning. This morning's passage comes from the Gospel of John. And in this passage, we encounter two of Jesus' I Am statements, statements that point to who Jesus is. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus made a total of seven of these I Am statements. And they were significant, first off, because they hearkened back to the time when Moses encountered God. And he asked God, Whom shall I tell the people of Israel has sent me to deliver them out of Egypt? And God answered, I am. So when Jesus made his I am statement so many years later, he was pointing to the fact that he was more than a mere human. He, in fact, was God himself. The great I am, the great deliverer, divinity in the flesh. And then Jesus used these statements to flesh out what that divinity looks like. So do you want to know who God is and what He is like? Then pay attention to Jesus' I am statements because they unveil who God is, what his very heart is, and they show us how he desires to relate to his beloved creation. So friends, today we are going to look more deeply into Jesus' I am the gate and I am the good shepherd statements. To do this, let's start out by understanding the underlying cultural context behind Jesus's images. For I recognize that these images may not mean a great deal to us in our modern times. But for Jesus's first hearers, they would have had immediate resonance and in fact would have been greatly encouraging to them, at least for the people at large. Perhaps not so much for the Israel's uh, religious leadership. For you see, the ancient Israelites had been a nomadic agricultural people. His main economic resource was sheep. And so early on in their time with God, as they had come to know Him and to relate to Him, they started to refer to Him in pastoral terms. So in the Old Testament, we see Israel referring to itself as God's flock and referring to God and to its appointed leaders as its shepherds. The people of Israel had come to understand that they were actually much like sheep. They were totally dependent upon God but at the same time they were prone to wander, and so they needed wise guidance and care. Psalm 23, which specifically referred to God as the Israelites' shepherds, would have been ingrained in the people's hearts and minds. Likewise, Isaiah 40.11, which talks about God gathering up the lambs into his arms, would have been etched into their hearts and minds. So by the time Jesus came and said, I am the gate, And I am the Good Shepherd. The people of Israel would have had a long history of referring to God in these kinds of ways. Unfortunately, they would have also had a long history of their leadership failing them. So, equally as memorable to them in this time would have been the prophet Ezekiel's lament and promise as found in chapter 34, which called out Israel's leaders for neglecting, slaughtering, and leaving their sheep as pray for the wild beasts, and then announced that God would now take over the role that the leaders had failed to do, and would feed, bind up, strengthen, and rescue the sheep, the ones who had been weakened, scattered, and injured by the leaders. God would do this through his messianic kingdom. Thus, when Jesus said on that day so many years ago, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd, and then specifically placed himself in opposition to those who were thieves and robbers and hired hands who had come to steal and kill and destroy and abandon the people, the significance of Jesus' words would not have been lost on the people. For while many years had passed since the time of Ezekiel, the people of Israel were still waiting for their Messiah, the one who would protect them like a gate to a sheep pen protects the sheep from intruders at night. And the one who would lead his people into places of security, rest, nourishment, and refreshment, as a good shepherd does with his sheep as he leads them the pasture. The people of Israel longed for their Messiah. They longed for salvation. As such, they'd start to listen to other leaders, men who specifically claimed to be the Messiah. And other religious leaders like the Pharisees who claimed that they had the path to righteousness and holiness and thus invited others onto that path with them. And yet here was Jesus inviting them to follow him instead. You see, in talking about the thieves and robbers that day, the ones who were trying to get to the sheep by another way other than the gate, Jesus was not just referring to Israel's leadership of the past, but was also referring to the present religious leaders. And then Jesus was making a bold claim. He was the gate. In other words, he was the way to salvation, to abundant life and to life everlasting. He was the one and only one who provided entrance, both now and throughout eternity. He was the good shepherd who would go above and beyond and would give his very life, On behalf of the sheep, as were all those other leaders who claimed to know the way of life. They were thieves and robbers and hired hands who would harm and ultimately abandon the people. So Jesus warned the people that day against following these leaders and instead invited them to listen to his voice, to recognize it as the one that belonged to their good shepherd and to follow them. To follow him, and Jesus knew that those who were in the crowd that were a part of his flock, they would indeed recognize his voice. They would distinguish it from the voices of the false shepherds, and they would come after him. And friends, although our circumstances over two thousand years later are wildly different than those who first heard Jesus' invitation, his invitation today is the same for us we too are to embrace Jesus as our gate and as our good shepherd. And we are to follow him. For we too are prone to wander. We too have been led astray and have been harmed and abandoned. We too desperately need his care. And friends, it is actually a matter of life and death that we be able to recognize Jesus' voice and to embrace it so that we can find the abundant life that Jesus wants to offer us, and then to offer that life to others. For you see, unfortunately, even for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and come to know him, even for us, we find that in our modern world, we are bombarded by thousands of voices on a daily basis, voices that are clamoring for our attention and for our allegiance, telling us that they have the way to life and meaning and happiness, even though in the end they will drain us of life and leave us empty. And these voices unfortunately have too often become muddled with Jesus's voice and then we follow them to our own peril. And even worse, we take others along with us. We too steal and destroy. Thus, we need the Messiah, just as the people of Israel did all those years ago. We need someone who loves us, who knows the way, and is in fact the way. This means, however, friends, that we need to learn to hear Jesus' voice afresh so that we can distinguish it from all the other voices in our lives that are competing for our attention and are leading us astray. And we must come to see these other voices for what they truly are, stealers and destroyers of life. They whisper in our ear that we cannot do without them, that we will not be happy or satisfied or secure until we have embraced them or to, until we follow them. But friends, they lie. The only thing that brings true and true and lasting satisfaction, life and security, is our relationship with Jesus and our call to love others just as He has loved them. We are to embrace this kind of life and then we are to share it with our families, friends, neighbors, cities, and world. To do this, however, we must learn to do life differently. And that, friend starts with us slowing down. If we are to love God and we are to love neighbor, we must do away with much of the noise that is occurring in our lives and learn to be attentive to God and to the present moment and people before us. Now, friends, I know that this time of self-isolating during COVID-19 is really challenging for many of us in various ways. But if there is a silver lining, it is this. For many of us, we have been forced to slow down and forced to be more present to our roommates, to our families, and hopefully to God himself. This is good, for when we are always rushing around with constant new activities, constantly bombarding ourselves with new information and new noise of all kinds, what we happen to call normal in our modern American day lives, then we cannot truly be present to God or to others. And we cannot uncover the seductive and misleading voices all around us that are so often unconsciously driving our thinking and our actions. And then we cannot make decisions reflectively or wisely. We end up living our lives more as a reaction rather than ones that are thoughtful and intentional. And at times, friends, we even make decisions that harm ourselves and harm others. Friends, part of the challenge of living in our modern global interconnected world is that this lack of reflection and this lack of being present to God and to others leads to all kinds of harm, sometimes at a great distance, but still it is happening to others because of our decisions. On the other hand, learning to be more attentive to God leads to flourishing. So friends, it is time to be truly attentive. It's time to learn to distinguish Jesus' voice from all the others. It is time to embrace a new normal. A new normal that does not take away life from others, but instead gives life. And friends, we can do this in two main ways. First, we can share the good news with our neighbors, the good news of Jesus, the gate, the Good Shepherd, the one who loves our neighbors way more than we can ever imagine, the one who desires to lead them into eternal, abundant life. Second, we can live our lives in ways that are way more intentional and life-giving, and are characterized by blessing, loving, showing hospitality, making sacrifices, being truly present, listening, sharing goodness and beauty, binding up the brokenhearted, rescuing and gathering up the neglected, the wounded, and the scattered. In other words, lives that reflect Jesus's life. Friends, we're never gonna be able to fully do this, however, unless we learn to listen to Jesus, to hear his voice, and to distinguish it from all the other voices that are clamoring for our attention and our allegiance on a day-to-day basis. And that means we must slow down. We must become way more attentive to what is going on in the present moment and with God himself. Friends, as I come to a close this morning, I want to ask you these questions. What are the voices in your lives are promising life but are ultimately going to end up leaving you empty, are going to destroy life and take it from you. And what are the voices in your lives that are telling you you're not going to be happy or secure or satisfied unless you have this thing or that thing, regardless of the way that that thing may actually harm your soul or hurt others, either in the short term or in the long term. Now, friends, if you have no idea, that is okay. But I want to encourage you during this time of isolation during COVID-19 to quiet your souls and to hear Jesus afresh so that you can hear his voice and distinguish it from all the other misleading and seductive voices around you and so that you can follow Jesus. Jesus wants to offer you and all of creation his abundant life starting now and lasting throughout eternity. Receive this gift. And friends, if you don't know how to receive that gift, that's okay too. I encourage you to look out for the spiritual exercises I'm going to send out this week through Facebook and our Mission Minute that will specifically help you to learn to be more attentive to Jesus' voice and to the people before you and into the present moment.